Welcome everyone to Screenfish Radio. I'm so glad you could join us this week for a very special episode of Screenfish Radio. And for a very special episode, I have very special guests. And I am thrilled to have back in the seats uh, Dave Voigt and friend of the show, Kirk Haviland. Welcome back, guys. Glad to be back. Well, you know something, brother? It's always good to be back here on Screenfish Online. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's and there it is. That is a perfect segue because this week we're doing something a little different. Woo! Uh, <laughs> we're, uh, this week, whereas we would normally talk about uh, the latest in film or, or even television, this week we're going to talk about pro wrestling. Uh, and I hope that you're 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 excited about this conversation because I know I am. And I've this this particular time. Uh, pro wrestling is everywhere on television, whether you're watching AEW or WWE, Ring of Honor. There's so many, so many brands that are out there from the independents all the way up to the to the big the big franchises. Um, but, to, you know, this week, I would say rated S for spoilers, but I think that's probably a strange one for this. Um, but I guess we are going to talk about things that happened. Absolutely. I mean, put that big spoiler alert right off the bat we are going to talk about what's happened over the last couple of weeks that's for sure for sure for sure so i mean guys i mean i'm i'm thrilled to talk about this with you wrestling has had a special place in my heart uh off and on to varying degrees since i was about 10 years old but i would love to hear from you both uh why you care or even like pro wrestling what is it that uh, that keeps you engaged well, um, for me, my whole wrestling journey started as a kid as well. Um, my dad would get us uh, the old uh, cheap seat discount Dominion uh, tickets for WWE whenever they would be at, uh, well, WWF back then, when they would be at Madison, we're at uh, uh, Old Maple Leaf Gardens. Um, so, I mean, I remember distinctly one of the matches I saw as a young kid was a uh, Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Macho Man Savage in a ladder match at Maple Leaf Gardens uh, many, many, many moons ago. But yeah, no, as a kid, um, it was a, at the time, it was a relatively inexpensive uh, thing that my dad could do with just me and my brother. So us, just the boys. And my dad grew up with his father and he knew people, he would watch things, uh, people like Haystacks Calhoun and, and uh, other people from that era of wrestling. So he wa- grew up watching and was a was a uh, amateur wrestler himself through high school and stuff like that. So that's why he introduced it. He brought, kind of brought it into us because he thought it'd be a, a good activity for uh, him and his sons. And then, of course, um, the whole rock and wrestling, Hulk Hogan era started. And it kind of just took off for me and my brother. We'd rent uh, whatever new Coliseum video uh, would come out that month at the old video store and watch it. And yeah, that was these are DVDs, kids. These are blue. These these are VHS tapes. Occasionally, even Beta Betamax. Like this old, is old and, school. And they were in the old oversized the video cases, the clamshells. Yeah, not yeah. not necessarily the clamshells, but the ones with the slide-in plastic tray. Right, that right. Would, that would either be for wrestling or for porn. They were the only two formats that used the slide-in plastic tray. <laughs> 
for whatever reason. So it was that way. And of course, as a kid, I didn't know much about the one, but I knew everything about <laughs> when it came to wrestling. So that was how my journey started. Obviously, as most wrestling fans, as you grow up, you fall in and out a bit. That's kind of happened to everybody, I think, at some point in time. But um, uh, recently, um, with the advent of AEW, which is kind of a more wrestling as opposed to scripted storyline type presentation, they do more of their storytelling in the ring as opposed to just a lot of whole bunch of vignettes and talking on a microphone. It's kind of drawn me back in. That's not to say that it's better than WWE because wrestling is wrestling. You should enjoy wrestling for whoever's putting it out. But uh, that's just the presentation that kind of resonates with me a bit more. Well, and that's a good thing to bring up too, because I mean, the reality is, I mean, the art of pro professional wrestling, be it sort of the TV production or sort of the moves inside the ring is at its core storytelling. And I mean, and that's something that kind of gets lost along the way. But I mean, for me, when I uh, sort of got hooked, I mean, I was the ripe old age of uh, probably about nine. Uh, and, you know, with WWE superstars syndicated every Saturday morning, you know, you turn on the TV, you plop down your breakfast cereal and you watch superstars. And it was that uh, it was that epic promo between uh, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, and Andre wanted the title shot and ripped the chain off his chest and there was a little bit of blood trickling down his chest and i was i was hooked wrestlemania I, 3 <laughs> i was absolutely hooked but i mean also at the same time there it, it does highlight sort of how there are really two different types of uh storytelling when it comes to uh professional wrestling there is the theatrics there is the the grandeur of it all but then there was also the physicality in the ring. I and mean, even when you mentioned something like WrestleMania 3, obviously something that is brought up so many times by fans everywhere is just the match between uh, Macho Man Randy Savage and uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for the Intercontinental Championship, which is such an in-ring classic that it, it, it gave me sort of an appreciation of not just the physicality of it, but the, th the theatricality of it as well. And I mean, as I got older, like you said, you dip in and out. And I mean, as the attitude came in and that glass broke and Stone Cold Steve Austin was uh, stomping a mud hole and walking it dry, uh, you get roped in again. And I mean, really, what professional wrestling is at its core. Yeah. And I mean, I use this as a very sort of old school example, but uh, it's like the traveling players. It's, you know, it's like the 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 theater troops that we would see sort of pop up in uh in a shakespeare play that would you know take their cart from town to town and just tell different stories at its core that's what it is yeah I mean, and and it's a good thing you bring up uh uh macho man versus steamboat because in many ways that match is kind of a predecessor to where we are now in the ring which is kind of heavily in the work rate era as they call it where your actual Funk, your physicality and your your work inside the ring now is just as important as everything else i mean you it's can more about athleticism as opposed to being you know six nine three fifty and just you know yeah. clobbering people 100 percent. i mean when we're growing up i mean let's be honest i mean by the time we were watching andre the giant as where we were in wrestlemania three four and five andre really couldn't do much no he was breaking down physically yeah. for sure 
enemy and Hogan with his what three moves of doom. I'll, I'll use the Cena reference because Cena has the five moves of doom. Hogan was more like the two or three moves of doom. I mean, it's not like they were, I mean, they were athletes because they obviously took care of their bodies and they looked great, but, and it's people like, and it's matches like that, that ladder match that you mentioned that kind of kicked off the work rate because it, that, and the heavy influence of Brett, the Hitman Hart and other guys that were more technical that kind of have that grew and impacted this new generation that's come up that are all now dominating the scene. You know, it's interesting you say that because I remember as a kid, it was always about the biggest, the biggest guy. Mm. Um, like it, it, this was, this was sort In of. Ways, it still is, but it's evolved. Yes. Yes. That's fair. That's fair. It's, it, and it's interesting because that is a, a philosophy of people. Like I know there's been a lot of talk of Vince. Uh, Vince McMahon wanting to hire and anybody that's six nine and get rid of everybody that's smaller. There's one of those conversations you hear about online because that was his. That's his argument. Uh, but it has changed. It has changed. But I, I remember as a kid sitting in the CNE exhibition place for Hulkamania '86, um, and it was a big deal. I, I don't remember how we got there. And I say that because I don't remember like loving wrestling and like, I have to go like for some reason, I must've liked it. My dad thought we should go to this thing. And, but I remember wanting to see the main event. And that was a big deal for me at the age of nine. Cause the main event was like 11 o'clock and we were freezing cold. And I see Paul Hulk, Hulk Hogan versus Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. Yeah. Um, and in exhibition place is a key memory for me. Like, this is a big thing. Um, but I fell in love with the characters. And you're right about storytelling. And I think this is why I feel like this is a relevant thing for us to, to add to the podcast verse, if you will, for us. Is so much of this film is about stories. And uh, my my son's best friend, uh, the, my son is 12. His best friend doesn't watch wrestling. My son does uh, with me. And his friend came in and said, I don't get why you like this. And his friend and my son said, why? And he said, it's fake. Um, and I looked at him and I said, okay. I said, okay. L- let me ask you this. What's your favorite movie? He said, I don't know. Avatar. I said, Okay why do you like avatar because it's not real and he was like okay fine i get it uh um but but that's what it is that's what wrestling is to me it's stories yep and and connecting with the stories sorry go ahead kirk oh no i say i was agreeing with you 100 percent. i mean and how that storytelling has developed over the years has has been how um different companies have flourished that's just the way that it is i mean you're right to bring up you're talking about uh vince and his uh affinity for larger wrestlers i mean whereas for me i mean i think if you have an entire roster of guys that are all the same build the same look you know what i mean they all kind of look like they've come out of the same gym it's like okay you know i get it but there's you know i miss the variety um, which is probably why other wrestling companies appeal to me very much as well. Cause 
if you took say braun Strowman, who yes he's a he's a big dude and he does stick out even in wwe because of his size i think omos is the only one who's close to him but um if you were to take him and put him in aew would he stand out absolutely but that's what you want it's why people like lance archer and miro are such big or you know what i mean they stand out because more because of the surroundings that they're in um whereas if you're just going to put those guys i mean you, look, look what happened with miro when he wasn't a, a wwe he kind of just got lost with everybody else because he was the same you know what i mean he was like this big guy but he's in a sea of big guys but it, but i mean again you've got to remember that the especially like when we were growing up the athleticism of it wasn't necessarily 100 highlighted I mean, you know, you know, Braun Strowman is not a small man, but he he is an athlete. Yep. I mean, with all due respect to the great Kali, the the man couldn't move. No. You know what I mean? He could barely walk. But like, there is a difference between the behemoth and sort of this athletic specimen. I mean, Roman Reigns is not a small man, but he is a hell of an athlete. Yeah, you, and, you're not you're not you're not seeing like tugboat or um, you know. Yeah. Bastion Booger or people like this anymore with regard for more for the most part. I mean, you do have uh Bronson Reed, aka Jonah Rock, who's now and who's back in WWE. And that guy is a is a different look altogether. And it's great that he's there. Um, I wish he would be get used more. He's just he's got a group for his size, he's unbelievable. But yeah, it it you're you're right. It's it's more about athleticism now, and I feel that that's kind of where the, this is going to continue to go. But I mean, it's also about recognizing it too, because I mean, even somebody like John Tenta, who I mean, played Earthquake back in the day. I mean, the man was a trained sumo, so like he yeah. was a legit athlete. But I mean, he looked like a bouncer. He looked like a lumberjack. Mm-hmm. But no, the guy was a little. The guy was legit athlete. Yeah, John. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just like the line between delineating sort of or an understanding the, the the difference between the guys that, you know, you pulled out of some backwater bar who look like they can just beat the crap out of one another versus guys who are genuine athletes has become a lot clearer than it used yep. to be back in the day. I mean, I mean, I look at um, you want to compare. I mean, the, a, a good comparison uh, two guys that are people rarely consider athletes, but they're they're top level athletes. And I'm going to bring in UFC just for one second. I mean, I remember when Big Country yeah. was out there, and everybody made yeah. made fun of Big Country because he had the gut. And it's like the guy could still go seven rounds, six, five, six rounds without tiring out. You know what I mean? And submit guys. And Kevin Owens is of that same ilk. Kevin Owens may have a bit of the gut but he can go 35 minutes at the drop of a hat and he can outlast a lot of other guys in that ring so i mean again it different sizes and different body shapes are what are important um for me at least and you know it, it comes down to what they're able to do as athletes and but i mean i'm glad you brought up ufc as well because i mean there is a reality that people tend to forget about i mean W like professional wrestling, no matter what company you want or how you follow it, is very much a combat sport. It is a predetermined combat sport, but it is a combat sport. And but there is still an art of storytelling in the art of the fight. And I mean, you can't like when you really look at sort of 
the story, you know, stories that happen in the UFC and how they build up things that way, even inside, outside of the ring, or like, you know, building a boxing match back in the day, you know, from a, not just from a television production, but from what you see in the ring with the sort of the underdog and the good guy and the bad guy and how guys fight. It's such a, it is really very much a physical form of storytelling, which I like, at least from my perspective, doesn't always get the respect that it should. And I mean, it feels like it's finally starting to get that, especially on a, on a broader sense when it comes to professional wrestling, because you got to remember before, you know, the rock or Dwayne Johnson, Adele, Adele's new best friend, as we'll, uh, (laughs) as we'll refer to him here. When he broke into Hollywood, he was the exception. He was like, don't talk about wrestling. Don't talk about wrestling. You've got to move past it. It feels like the mainstream has finally started to embrace it a little more. Not, I mean, I think it was, it just, like, I think it was just a perfect storm of timing based on sort of the availability of talent that that came out of the boom that we saw in the, late 90s 2000s with the attitude era but then you know the the monday night wars with wwe versus wcw and that ended and then there was a bit of a vacuum for talent but now these new companies and these new talents there are so many people working and so many people you know talented people working in the in in the sport and art of professional wrestling i mean this is a fantastic time to be a fan right now i mean i i don't know if there was a the vacuum of talent is what you would say as as much as there was only one portal for the long time it was just wwe or nothing no but i mean also you but you've got to remember that i mean like performers like bailey like you know sasha banks or mercedes monet now they came out of being inspired by people like lita like people like eddie guerrero who came out of the attitude era so i mean it's just a question of growing into it yeah i mean i'm just saying in that early in that early to mid 2000 like when we're talking about 2005 to 2010 type era type there were like again there was one ever from when wcw closed until the two early 2010s if there was really only one portal to be seen is what i'm saying because the 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 whole internet um really hadn't exploded as much as it has now so there wasn't ways to alternate ways to watch uh, wrestling as unless it was on tv you know what i mean so you yeah. had like companies like rh and stuff doing stuff but you were really only getting that and if you were really following it for the more casual fan it was wwe nothing but uh 2010s came along internet became much more uh, fruition youtube became a thing and then all then now you started to see learn and see about all these other wrestlers that had been toiling away for years because they were getting exposure through other means that weren't WWE. And I think the, the reason why we're probably just right now on the cusp of a new wave of wrestling explosion, because I think it's, it's right there is because of internet culture and because of the inflect on the internet on what we're seeing now. Cause not now you have just, you have WWE and you have, AEW, which has come along, but um, GCW, which is a small indie that n- 10 years ago, nobody know- would have known who they are, are now becoming a player. You know what I mean? People know what New Japan is and can regularly watch it at home. 
10 years ago, you only saw New Japan in magazines. And I mean, so, and I mean, part, part of that really does speak to just, I mean, why we're here right now talking about this, because given the demand for content out there in the world, and I mean, you and the three of us have always talked about it in various forums, just with the streamers and just the need for like programming for the eyeballs. In 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 the past, professional wrestling was usually based as being sort of a touring event, as like the circus that would come to your town and yada yada yada. In the past ten years, five maybe even less, it has really shifted more into being a television product. Because when you look at the amount of hours that somebody like a WWE produces, somebody like even even a company like AEW, even a company like Impact, there is such value in the amount of hours of programming that these companies are making every month for relatively reasonable costs that have turned professional wrestling into sort of more of the juggernaut that it that it is today. Yeah. And and Steve can talk to this because you've got kids. Um, then this next generation doesn't consume media the way that we do. Oh, it's yeah. No, go ahead. I'm saying you you have kids. You should know. I mean, how much how how much actual television or cable television do they watch? That is a fascinating question because the truth. Somebody asked me that the other day. They were like, "So I guess you actually it was my nephew. So I guess so I guess YouTube's taken over for your kids." um and it's it's me saying okay we're gonna watch netflix now or we're gonna watch disney plus because they're just like youtube clip you know this guy this guy this guy this guy boom 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 and 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 narrative storytelling takes 45 seconds now um and it's just it's just constant and well it doesn't but i mean that's kind of the point but yeah well no but that's what i'm saying like for them you know, YouTube is life. That's just how they consume the world is short form. But I mean, that also speaks to just sort of the magic of uh, a storyline like uh, what has been happening in the WWE, which is, you know, why you brought us here in the in the first place with the, the bloodline and sort of, yeah. and the, you know, the rise of Sami Zayn and <laughs> just sort of the, the emotional, the emotionality that this sport has managed to sort of, generate again in the casual audience not since arguably uh you know steve austin kicking the crap out of his boss on tv you know or 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 kicking booker t's ass through a supermarket <laughs> um, but uh i, I brought up you- that's narrative storytelling right there uh, it's, that's a different type of storytelling man that is an awkward watch it, it's it's fun and it's one of Booker T's favorite matches. So I mean that takes a little bit of it off the sting off for me. But yeah, it's 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 so ridiculously a thing of its time. But I bring up YouTube specifically for a reason because it really actually designates the difference between what wrestling was and what wrestling is now. If you go to WWE's YouTube page, they're specifically targeting your kids. All of their clips are are well. 90% of their clips are five minutes or less. Yeah. And it's just excerpts of the show. Then you go for something like AEW, which is producing hour, hour and a half long shows of wrestling for YouTube. And it just speaks to the difference between the, the storytelling focus for those two companies. 
not saying either one is wrong. I'm just saying you can clearly tell where their target target audiences are. And that's great for fans because you get to pick which one you want. But I think the reason why WWE captivates kids as much as they do is because they're on YouTube targeting them. Five minutes or less. Hit, hit it, quit, and get out. But I don't think that's just it. I don't think that's just it, Kirk. I could be wrong. No, I, I, you, I could be wrong. I'm the one without kids. You probably have a better idea. But I'll, I'll tell you, and it's maybe it's in some ways it's similar to being when I was a kid. It's, it's the characters and the stories. My kids every week want, are, they're worried about Sami Zayn now. And <laughs> these are kids who six months ago had seen five minutes of clips. Maybe I think. Uh, I had COVID last year and I watched Money in the Bank. It was the first pay-per-view I'd watched in decades, probably. But I was like, I'm in my room. I I can stream it. I'll just watch it. So I showed some clips to them then. But I I, like it. They they are now like they they will fast forward other matches to see the next clip of Sammy and the Bloodline. There is something about this character in this story that has captured their hearts and it's the YouTube helps. See the way I always say is the YouTube helps keep them engaged because we, we, we can't watch raw. Yeah. We don't get it, but we get SmackDown. So um, there, you know, but if they want to know what happened on raw, they can do it in a clip it, that, which is just smart for any, any network show at all is like, okay, you want yeah, to, get course, yeah. this. but, but uh I'm telling you, it's they're not watching it because they're watching YouTube. They're watching YouTube because they're watching it. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it it is a story that has very much captivated everybody. I mean, to the point where three months ago, everybody, based off of what happened at Hell in the Cell, everybody wanted two things to happen. They wanted Cody Rhodes to come back at Royal Rumble and they wanted Cody Rhodes to take the belt off of Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And now, because in those three months, what's happened with the bloodline, everybody wants it to be Sammy. And everybody has forgotten about the whole Cody Rhodes buildup. Until this this Monday. But I mean, that's, that's another debate for another time. But it's one of those things where, I mean... You should probably put a link, like, I mean, there's going to be a YouTube clip of it somewhere of just sort of the complete history of the bloodline. There actually is. I just found it on the WWE (laughs) page. No, but I mean, just as a reference for people who don't quite understand what we're talking about and to be able to see the buildup, it's, it's an epic kind of storytelling that has, has kind of been forgotten. And I mean, in the reality, the story is so simple. It is the underappreciated underdog who just wants to belong to something bigger than himself, desperately looking for attention and approval and wanting acceptance, but ultimately realizing how flawed it is to do that and just understand the need to stand on his own and not look for the acceptance of this person who he thought was the be-all, end-all, but in reality is just you know, a paranoid maniac trying to hold on to the power that he has. I mean, and 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 you think about it too. I mean, there's so many ways this could have gone <laughs> differently or could have gone wrong. 
this has just been them adapting, which is all the power to the WWE writers right now because this entire story has been them adapting to what they've been given. Because, I mean, Sami Zayn was supposed to be part of the bloodline for two weeks and then be discarded. But it worked so well <clears throat> that they developed into something else. Solo Sokoa, the, the Usos' legit brother, didn't want to be part of it. He wanted to do his own thing. And now not only is he a part of it, he's like a central core figure in the whole thing. There's so many things that could have been different. I mean, Roman Reigns off the bat had to fight to be paired with Paul Heyman because they didn't really? want, yeah, they I did didn't not know want that. Roman and Heyman together because Roman doesn't need someone speaking for him. And they thought it'd be a waste of Heyman to have him together with Roman. Roman had to fight for it and say, listen, if I'm going heel finally, I want Heyman to be there. Yeah, they both did. Yeah, it's true. And, and, and yeah, and Heyman has helped helped roman structure this character so much like this is a 50 50 partnership between roman and Heyman. what this character has become and everything else has kind of just fallen into play and credit to them for committing to this the, this ridiculous notion of having the belt not one but both of their title belts on one person for two years yeah. Well, to be fair, one year because last year is when they unified it. But yeah. yeah, but I mean, right now, I mean, right now in WWE history, there's only what four wrestlers that have had the belt longer than Roman. Yeah, and that's insane. When you can, well, I mean, nobody's going to catch Bruno. Bruno had it for what six years? Yes, something like that. Yeah, six or seven years. I mean, nobody's catching Bruno. But you know, I mean, we're talking. You know, when we grew up, we knew Hogan always had the belt. Yeah, you know what I mean, and and we're now in an era where Roman is fastly catch, is catching up to Hogan, and it's crazy to say that, but the kudos to all of them for keeping the storytelling fresh and strong, while still leaving the belt exactly where it's supposed to be. And let's be honest, did anybody think that Roman was losing the belt going into Royal Rumble? No, no because and we didn't care. This yes, is that's the, the point. This is what has amazed me about this, guys. This is what has amazed me about this. Because this story has been, like, you've had a, your belt. First of all, you've had your belt on a guy for two years in a world where, like we said, storytelling takes five minutes. That's remarkable. And kept it interesting. People yeah. are more interested the longer he has it. Because it's not about him. I mean, he his character thinks it's all about him. But the stories he tells are always about someone else. When when Jay Uso first comes back, it's all yeah. about him trying to get Jay into it, and then it's Jay and Jimmy. Um, then there was the storyline uh, after that. There was oh, what story? Oh, then there was Brock, Brock and Heyman, and it was all about them. And now it's about Sammy. It's I mean, people are assuming that Roman's going to be the champ, but they're telling interesting things around him. And that's why it's working. You yeah, know, they, like they've basically made Roman like the I'll use a, a weird analogy, but he's like the planet, whereas all of these other things are moons and stars that are surrounding him, and you're getting all of this interesting stuff from the the, the factors that are around him, but he's the constant in the middle. That's exactly and, 
And I mean, to even dovetail off that, I mean, this is probably why the reason why your kids are, and kids in general, are so fascinated with it. And this is something that doesn't always get the attention it deserves, but in what other form of entertainment and storytelling does the audience have sway over the result? Mm -hmm. If the audience wants something in professional wrestling, history has shown us eventually they will get it yeah i mean and obvious and i mean and another way to kind of uh factor this whole thing in is that i mean wrestling has always been and always will be the ultimate form of um escapism for people because it's and you get to watch an immediate reaction to something. I mean, it comes down to, it goes back to the reason why the Attitude Era exploded and worked so well was because Steve Austin beat up his boss. And how many people out there in the real world wanted to beat up their own boss, but they couldn't. So they got to live through Steve because Steve got to beat up his boss every week on TV. And it, it's something as simple as that concept that just draws you in. So, I mean, every I, the reason why the another factor why I think the bloodline works so much is that there is so many people and so much drama out there in real life family. And, you know, with your own family, that what's happening in the bloodline is so believable because it's within a family. And I mean, also think about this. It really speaks to just how we've changed societally in many ways. I mean, in the in the Attitude Era, we were drawn to the outsider, the rebel, the ass kicker, the the the, the guy who was going to stomp a mud hole in you and walk it dry and do whatever he wanted to do. And now we're drawn to the guy who just wants to belong. And because he's been rejected, and now he now he understands why he couldn't. He understands he belongs to us now rather than trying to belong to this thing that never wanted him. That's the magic of it. You know, it's it shows just where we are mentally as a society, but also sort of emotionally as well. I mean, I, I, they've oh, lit, go ahead, Kirk. So, and, and they've figured it. And, and it's another thing that's worked so well and has been played out through this whole storyline is not only have they literally painted Sammy as the outsider, but they've done it figuratively as well. How much and how much time of these, the how much, how much of this um, history of the bloodline have we seen Sammy knocking at the door, trying to talk to Roman? Yeah. How many times has been outside him outside the dressing room trying to get in to talk to Roman? It, it's 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 brilliant because they've taken. Like they, they're they're showing you visually exactly what they're trying to do with him being the outsider without even having, and they're doing it in such a way that you're not even picking up on it unless you think about it. And there's beautiful subtleties there in the ring as well. Like I, I love the fact that when Roman is going to speak, he doesn't. He just goes like this. And if you notice, every time he just puts his hand out and he expects Paul Heyman to put it in his hand, yep. he doesn't say, "Give me the mic." He just goes like this. And it's like, oh, oh, yes, my tribal chief. He has to, they have they, little subtleties like that that communicate the role they want him to have. But it, it, I love, see, the, this is the conversation that really gets me, to be honest, yeah. is I am fascinated by the fact of how much things continue to change and evolve for the better in a lot of ways. I mean, 
we we're talking about storytelling right here. I mean, we haven't even talked about the evolution of of women in wrestling and think nope. about what, where they were in in the Attitude yeah. Era and yeah. and where they were before that. Hundred like percent. Oh my I mean, god. And and you and you now have audiences that are screaming for women to and, main event. Yeah, to main when, event. They, when they don't get, I mean, and as much as I sit here and watch AEW and enjoy AEW, the one thing that they've currently dropped the ball on is their women's division. And everybody says it's because they don't have the talent. And it's like, no, they do have the talent. They just don't make the room for it, yeah. which is why they were sh they're shopping an idea of just having a women's wrestling program where they would have an hour a week, just be women programming. And it's like, I'd be all for it because the talent is there. Is this that that's the one thing that WWD does exceedingly better than anybody else is they showcase the women on their roster and they yeah. give them a spot. And I mean, they did give them a spot, but I mean, it's it reminds me of something that, especially in the world of professional wrestling, the best stories are either meticulously planned out or they happen organically mm -hmm. by accident. It's either the carefully thought out, well-planned design stories like this bloodline narrative that we've been going through now, or it's the yes movement, or yeah. it's something like would Becky Lynch be Becky Lynch now if she hadn't broken her nose and had sort of the sense to walk it off with a little bit of swagger and just wipe the blood on her shirt on live television would it, Kofi Kingston but have been a champion if it wasn't for the fans screaming for Kofi every exactly year? I mean but that's the best part about the bloodline too because as we talked about so much of it has been meticulously planned but there's also a, this other side where it came spontaneous you know what I mean? Because Sammy was only supposed to, the Sammy thing was only supposed to last two weeks. And, and now even it's gone on for months. Because Sammy did a sit down with uh, Ariel Hawani before the Rumble, and they were just talking about sort of how he got involved with the storyline. And, and he, you know, like, did you have to prove to the guys that you could belong? It's like, it wasn't the brothers, it wasn't Roman. I had to prove myself to Heyman. Yeah. Heyman had to believe that I could sort of be there with these in this top line storyline, and he has. And it's one of those things. Go ahead. No, I was say, I'm going to go off topic a bit. So finish your thought. No, but I mean, it, it's a reminder of how, as much as professional wrestling is okay, fake or predetermined is probably the more adult term to put to it. The performers have so much more control over, you know, their own personal realities. Because I mean, here's the thing. If you're if you're scripted to do X Y Z on Monday Night Raw, and you do X and Y, but you do Z a little differently, and it goes over like gangbusters, you're not going to get in trouble. Yeah. Like you have, like it, it's it's a performance art that is based on the performers betting on themselves. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen so many talents in professional wrestling who will stay a little too on book, and they don't go anywhere. Where yep. it's the ones who know when they see a moment in front of them to run with it. Because I mean, you're on live TV. You know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna, they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna do like the stage hook with the the guy off stage trying to pull you off on TV. If you're doing something on TV, as long as you're not, you know, cussing or you know, showing your ass, they're not gonna yeah. cut it. 
it, it, it's the guys who can take a script and make it sound like they actually said that and actually yeah. came up with that as opposed to it actually being a script. And those are the people that are going to excel. My, my, to, my, my last note on the bloodline and we'll move on. Actually, I think we're, we're getting close to time anyways, but my last note on bloodline is about Heyman. Cause you just brought him up and my favorite part of what Paul Heyman does. And you, it's very subtle because he's designed this character and I can clearly tell that he's designed this character as basically he's the war consigliere in a Godfather mafia setup. And the one thing that you may notice, and you can keep an eye on it from now, he never walks in front of Roman. He always walks behind him and he never looks Roman in the eye. Never. When they're on, when they're on camera, he's always behind him. And he never looks Roman in the eye. Whenever he dresses him, he's bowed down. And it's perfect. Uh, it, 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 there's some remarkable visual storytelling going on without saying a word. Mm -hmm. and, and it's been really impressive. And I love, I love the fact, Dave, that you talk about how the key storylines have changed. Because like it's funny, like I if 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 we were in the attitude era, I admit it, I wouldn't be letting my eight-year-old watch it, my twelve-year-old probably, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be it, it was different. Yeah. And they were trying to push, push, push. Um and and the Stone Cold story was I I mean, I was like in my twenties. I thought it was a blast. I thought it was so much, yeah. so much fun. The rock was a larger than life personality. Um and but like the storyline of a guy who's falling in with essentially the mean girls, yeah. like this, is, this is mean girls, this in, in some ways in pro wrestling and, and, and seeing him start to wrestle with that and, and make a decision on his own. It, it, it was a turn that felt good to watch. Even if it was like a hard watch, <laughs> like it was the Royal Rumble thing. I, I read one reviewer, one wrestling critic called it cinematic. And I, at first I was like, well, hold on. But that sort of triggered even this podcast. because I was like, it, no, it, is, it is true. And, 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 and it's, it's a, it's a point back to actually to take it back to cinema. I mean, cinematic to be cinematic. It doesn't need to be some grand grandeur landscape you know what i mean it's about storytelling it's about a script it's about a performance in cinematic encompasses everything which is why a film that is basically set in one location where it's just a bunch of people conversing can still be as cinematic as avatar bloody too whatever you want to call it but yeah it's it, cinematic can be many different things and, I mean, and just even go ahead I was going to say, it speaks to the circular na uh, nature of wrestling as well, because you were talking about um, the Attitude Era. The, well, the Attitude Era was a response to what WCW was doing, which is very much uh, family-friendly entertainment. Mm. And Attitude Era and as, ends, and the w D WWE basically becomes WCW for a long time, family-friendly entertainment. And then AEW comes along, which is basically doing a version of the Attitude Era, much less raunchy and much more respectful, but they're doing a more hard-hitting nature in response to what WWE is now. It just speaks to the circular nature of wrestling. I mean, it even speaks to the circular nature in, a, in an event. 
I mean, if we all remember, I mean, main event of Royal Rumble, you know, Roman, Sammy, and Paul come out and, you know, Solo come out. 50,000 people got their arms in the air and they're cheering him. 30 minutes later, they're telling him to F off. <laughs> Which I've never heard. I mean, I mean, not since the Attitude Era have I heard a response like that from the crowd. From a WWE crowd, perhaps. From a WWE crowd. But it was it was authentic. And yeah, it was visceral. visceral. It was it a was, very visceral reaction. It was unbelievable. And I remember people, my kid went, what are they saying? And we're, I said, they're, they're saying something bad to him. I might even hearken to, that might be the most visceral and natural reaction I've seen since Ms. Girl. Since what? Uh, yeah, I, you're not familiar with Ms. Girl? You need to look that up. There is that when the Miz won the actual heavyweight championship, there was this girl in the audience that was so pissed off about she it. She was like, she was like the she scowl, pulling this huge scowl. She became, and the TV kept cutting to her. It, but she, she became a, a meme. full blown meme. If you look up Miz Girl anywhere, I'm telling you, you'll see a picture of her face because she was so pissed off that the Miz became world champion. But that's storytelling. That's that's what you got to do. And I love Miz. Don't get me wrong. I love that dude. Even I even I know he's a, he plays a great heel. And outside the ring, he's a fantastic. Have you ever watched any? He's just a great human. But yeah, it's love the storytelling. He gets it because he grew up like we did, watching wrestling. You know, um, when I was in university, and this is this is true. I'm really letting you guys behind the curtain. On this. <laughs> um. In my last year of university, we had to write a, I, I called it my senior thesis, but it was really just an essay that was about 25, 30 pages long, which is not a senior thesis, but it was to me, it was a big deal at the time. And I took this course and it was trying to teach, and they said, you can write about anything, anything at all. I wrote about soap operas. Uh, I used to watch them with my mom. I watched all my children. I, I, so I spent like a year studying the aesthetics of soap operas at the age of like, I was like 22, 23 years old. And I wrote a chapter on wrestling and it was fascinating because I had to talk about it. And this was again, I think the early attitude era yeah. and the subtle difference. And this was the subtle difference. I'll never forget coming across this. I think there was one book that was talking about professional wrestling it said that in soap operas, the event, everybody, the event happens and it leads to what people care about, the aftermath. Because people, in a soap opera, a thing happens, uh, someone is murdered, there's a poisoning, there's this thing, and then the, people want to know where the storyline goes. But in wrestling, it's actually the opposite. Yeah. It builds and builds and builds to this, yeah. uh, to this moment. Um, which I think is a fascinating psych. I, I'd, I'd like to explore the psychology of that, not necessarily here right now, but I mean, just in general, I'd like to explore that yeah. because that is how wrestling works. Yeah. But the, the thing I've noticed about it as well is it still operates on the same wavelength as a soap opera because you have the match and the really good stories don't end there. They take you to the next one. Well, the, dip, yeah. the, dip, the main difference between wrestling and a soap opera is that wrestling has stop gaps along the way built in. Those are premium live events or pay-per-views. So if, if soap operas had like, say, a primetime special every three months, you'd probably see their story. Kirk, they have, they have sweeps month. But still, you'd, you'd probably see them build into that. If there were more 
segmented along the way, you'd probably see more stories built in to hit those peak points. But that's just right. That's but that's the diff- main difference. It's funny you mentioned university. You mentioned university because when I was in university, I wasn't watching wrestling until something happened too. So <laughs> I won't get into that story, but you know, <laughs> another time perhaps. Um. Well, I mean, this uh, this is so much fun. I, I honestly, I, I'm really into the stories right now and the way and everything that we're talking about. Even, you know, I'm not into AEW, but I see what they're doing. And I'm like, you know what? Good for them. Like, it, it feels, it, it's, 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 WWE needs competition. <laughs> they do to stay relevant. Well, I mean, look at where WWE was three years ago before AEW became and in an, an integral thing their storylines i'm not gonna lie they were dull they were uninventive and it was the same thing week after week after week three years later and we've got these we're talking about vastly rich and fascinating storylines and i'm sorry but that comes out of that's born out of competition because they need to do something to take viewers away and engage people from their competition so competition breeds excellence if you allow if you allow yourself to feel like you need to outperform and that's key i mean wwe right now is way better than it was when there was no competition hands down and you know you can watch AEW, you cannot watch AEW, but you better be damn glad that they're there because they're making everybody else raise their game Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting that I think you're right. I think competition is is key. I do think it really took off. I mean, this, the bloodline storyline's going on for two and a half years, but I really think it took off when Vince left. But that's another story. No, for sure. I think that helped. But um, I wanted to ask you before we run out of time, because I know we're we're getting low on time. Heroes and villains. I'm just wondering, because we've seen different iterations over the time, whether it's Stone Cold, Sami Zayn, Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering for you, what do you, where do you think we are now with heroes and villains in pro wrestling? What, what defines them anymore? Or is that a fair question? You know, I mean, I think it, 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 it breaks down kind of on multiple levels because, I mean, if you look at the structure of, for the most part, how a company like AEW tells stories, where it's based on the physicality and it's, you know, guy X versus guy Y, and they're basically trying to kill each other for one way or another, and they're building up to this moment where it's going to be this match or else, versus WWE, which still has a lot of great in-ring performers and physicality, is based more on is based more on personality based more on attitude it's there it's all still shades of gray but i mean it's a question of who do you like who do you not like i mean if you're watching something on AEW and it's like oh these guys are having a great match but oh wait that guy cheated oh what an ass i don't like that guy he's the bad guy versus something like on wwe where it's like oh well this guy just annoys the hell out of me so i don't like him I think from a perspective standpoint, that's where the difference lies, if that makes any kind of sense. I, I also think we've kind of re-entered an era of like we were when we were kids, because back in the 80s, early 90s, before Attitude Era, there was 
clearly delineated good guys and bad guys and rarely it became a thing when a guy turned on somebody you know what i mean whereas you get in the attitude era and it was literally just a whole bunch of tweeners good guy half good guy half bad guy not really a good guy not really a bad guy you know what i mean austin was the anti-hero he was never just the hero you, you understand what i'm saying he would fluctuate back i mean the the i think the biggest example is the big show i mean you never do from week to week whether the big show was a heel or a baby <laughs> a good or a bad guy the guy i think in one year he switched between good guy and bad guy 12 times um but that was just an effect of the era we're now back in an era where we've have more clearly delineated baby faces and heels which is the wrestling terms for people who don't know for a good guy and a bad guy and we have we have more it's been more delineated i mean look at AEW for crying out loud the the bad the, the bad guys enter through one tunnel or one side of the stage and the good guys enter from another really TNA, TNA impact used to do the same thing yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've entered an era again, which is more of a hearkening back to where we came from, where the good guys and the bad guys are more clearly delineated. And when people switch and turn on somebody, it, it becomes this thing that we major, as an audience, majorly pop for, which is why when Sammy took that chair and he hit Roman in the exact same place, in the exact same manner that Seth Rollins hit Roman, don't think that wasn't a coincidence yeah um the the crowd went nuts and remember i remember like the other thing with pro wrestling is that even if you are sort of tagged as a heel and you do bad guy things if you're telling your story so well the crowd will start to love you because you're just doing such a damn good job at being a bad guy I mean, even just at the end of that Royal Rumble with Roman coming in, I mean, they were cheering him. He was over. They loved him. 30 minutes later, they did not love him. And that really and that, is the art of the story. And that's and that's a universal thing, too. You can look at the uh, perfect example in AEW would be the Jamie, Jamie Hayter story. Yeah, that's Jamie, true. Yeah, Jamie Hayter came in as a henchwoman for Britt Baker who was the main heel the main villain at the time like the main but people love Britt baker so much because she's such a good bad like such a good heel but people started to appreciate jamie and what her work was doing so much that they turned her baby face and they made her champion and she's now the champion only because the fans demanded it see I mean, that's how you keep it that's how you keep a heel run going basically like if you have if you're getting over so much and then you, you know, then you flip it around, that's how the story keeps going. I mean, I was worried about the bloodline story thinking like, oh, this may actually fizzle out by WrestleMania, but with the reaction that they got at the end of the rumble, I'm like, no, they can drag this out for quite some time still. Yep. Yeah. It, it's fascinating to me, like Roman, for example. And I remember when this happened with Taker because Taker was a mega heel uh, when he first started and then everybody fell in love with him. And then all of a sudden they did this awkward baby face turn uh at first where it was like oh he's oh he's good now and and we can cheer for him but it was sort of like but he's not really it was weird but like with roman he's the and it was funny because i've actually i had to explain that to my eight-year-old i'm like he's the bad guy and and, and my kid my eight-year-old's coming out going like this he's like he wants because of the he's he's because he said or what was it oh uh during the royal rumble 
It was before the Royal Rumble, LA Knight made a comment that he was the biggest superstar in WWE. My eight-year-old is sitting on the couch going, no, no, that's not true. It's Roman Reigns. It's not you. It's Roman Reigns. And I'm killing myself laughing. And that's one of the reasons I've had so much fun with it. He's emotional for it. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, but, and I keep telling him, like, Roman's the bad guy, buddy. So it was interesting watch, watching the the finale with him because, like, oh, he he really is. Yeah. Like, we, oh, we, we see Roman's true colors because it's kind of funny and silly up until that moment, right? Like, he's, a, he's so good at being bad that you forget that he's supposed to be bad. And they're pounding away. I think that was the whole point of the length of the segment. People say that segment was long. The point of the segment with with Kevin Owens is it's supposed to be long and hard to watch. Yeah. This isn't one chair shot. This is like, no, watch this. No, we're going to make you watch him get maimed, basically. Yeah. yeah. And it, which, which shows again, and Roman's the one saying, go. Yeah. Go. And, and, and that's when you're you crying. Talking. Go. There's no crying. Go hit him. Hit him. Yeah. Look at all we've done for you. Hey. I mean, and that's the and that's the thing that delineates a heel from a, a exceptional. And I mean, it speaks to the the real. They say the, the 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 exceptional bad guys are the guys that can tell you the truth, but twist it in a way that it fits their narrative. Like Paul, like Heyman, uh, Paul. They still they did still it on Monday night them. beautifully. The Cody Cody Rhodes segment. Was oh, good. that 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 promo actually made me give a damn about watching Cody and Roman. Yep. Like I said, you're not speaking any lies. You don't need to lie to the audience, but you've twisted the truth to a certain point that it fits your narrative, and everybody can see that it doesn't fit their narrative. Yep. And that's what makes a heel exceptional. Well, guys, this is this has been a joy. And so fun. And I honestly, like, I'm not going to lie. If we, if, if we decided one day we were going to do a wrestling podcast, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight you on it. Uh, <laughs> no. And to everyone who, who's listening, who, if we went to inside baseball, we apologize to you. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Hell, little bit. hell if, if everybody who's listening, if you want to hear a wrestling podcast with these three old dudes talking about it, let us know. <laughs> well, there it is. <laughs> Write into the comments down below. Now, normally now I would screen it or skip it. I'm not going to do that for this because it's, this is a little different. So, so for screen it or skip it this year, or for this episode, not this year, but for this episode, I give you one question. Should Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns headline WrestleMania? Go. Mm, it's, it's not an easy question. Because I love Cody and I love what they've done with his his return and that hell in the cell that gives so much fuel, just that the visual with the torn peck and everything. There's so much storytelling you can do, but Sammy is ultimately what you need to do with Roman. I think now more than ever, Sammy has to be the ultimate downfall of Roman Reigns. Now I don't know whether you take off one belt and you you have you divide the belts. And you have Sammy with one and Cody with the other and Roman's left with nothing. Maybe that's how you do it. Maybe he, because it is a two-night WrestleMania again this yes, year. Yeah. 
one night Roman has to face Cody for one belt. The other night Roman has to face Sammy for the other. And but Roman see, walks in with everything and walks out with nothing. I'm with you to a to a to a degree because you said something very telling, and I think it's the key point. Sammy has to be the downfall of Roman Reigns. Yep. This is true. Sammy does not need to win the championship to do that. Fair enough. You're right. You're right. I mean, so there is that there is that aspect as well. And I mean, even Sammy himself in that Ariel Hawani interview said he goes, I don't, he's he even said himself, he goes, I don't know if I'm the right mold of a person that WWE is gonna want as their champion. And he and he has said that. So I mean, I think he's giving the company a way out so that he's kind of saying, Listen, I don't necessarily need to be the champion because I know you don't see me as the champion. No, no, but again, also, also, here's the thing. At the end of the day, who carries the belt and who doesn't carry the belt? At the end of the day, it's a prop. It's a prop for the story. But the real, I think the real thing that will tell the truth is the audience, because it'll be who the audience wants to have that belt. And right now, the question is: Does the audience want Cody to have that belt, or do they want do they want Sammy to have that belt? And I think ultimately, that's the only question we need to get the answer to. Okay, but also, like in the history of the business, the people who really get over and the people who make money and the people who have genuine longevity are the people who don't need the belt. At some point, talent elevates themselves past the need for having a championship. True, but I mean, I think Sammy is right at that brink. Yeah, but again, you can also reference Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson when he was in WWE or Kofi Kingston. These were people that were willed into championships by the audience. So there's that aspect too. But, I but again, exactly it's them aspiring for the championship. As much as Sammy has challenged for the belt, at the end of the day, he even said, you know, I never wanted anything from you. I never wanted the belt, but now I do. Even if he, get, even if he doesn't succeed now, his hatred has gotten himself to the point where it's like, I don't think it's about him winning or losing. It's about Roman losing. I mean, absolutely. And to, to your point, uh, to your other point, can you name off the top of the top of your head how many times the Undertaker was a champion? Because I can't. Uh, about six, I want to say. But does it matter? No, it doesn't. No. I think we got another audience member. <laughs> we, do. we do. We do. This is uh, Jossie. Uh, Jossie is my my bloodline member here, so he's appropriate here for the finale. I tell you how I'd book it. This is actually Jossie. Here, here's a question. Do you think, okay, come here for a second. I'm going to put you on, on the internet again. Come here. Do you think that Roman Reigns should fight Cody Rhodes or Sami Zayn at WrestleMania? Cody. Cody? Really? I'm shocked. Instead of Sami? Why is that? Mm. That's a fair guess. All right, there you go. Okay. Now, here's the right answer. No kidding. <laughs> No, here, here's how I would book it. Here's how I would book it. I'm actually shocked he said that because he literally walks around going like this. I would. They've talked about splitting the belts. I would split the belts, like you said, uh, Kirk, both nights. Sammy night one, Cody night two. Roman keeps the SmackDown belt on night one. This is how I'd book it. 
Maybe from an interference by, well, actually, I mean, it depends what they do this week or not, but interference by Jay. Okay. The second night, Roman loses the belt after interference by Sammy. Keeps the story going, and then you can have him win the tag belts. I know people are saying, oh, the tag belts, you know, you can main event the tag belts with Kevin and, and Sammy against the Usos. I don't see that as a main event match for WrestleMania. See, for me, for me, uh, and I don't mean to cut you off, but you brought up an interesting point. For me, it would be um, first night would be Cody, and he takes one belt thanks to interview the interference from Sammy. The second night, Roman faces Sammy for the other belt, and Sammy wins because of interference from Jimmy. You mean Jay, but yeah. Well, Jay, yes. It's hard to tell which one is going to flop on that thing, but yeah. I and just that effectively spins the whole bloodline story off in a different tangent altogether. Well, I've got I've got even another option for you. I don't think Sammy should win the belt. I think I mean obviously I think Cody should win and take one belt if they do split the belts. Yep. I think the one person who really has to be the one to get the definitive pinfall on Roman is Jay because Jay was the one he was torturing two years back and just that whole story. And, and he's the conflicted one who walked away. I think if you yep. do that, you and you have Jimmy come with him at some point, you have bloodline civil war, which can go for another year. Yeah. I think, I think the whole key to this is going to be Jay. And I think they're smart enough to realize that the key to this is going to be Jay because that's why they spun him off and they didn't have him on TV and they, they're drawing it out. I think the whole key to this playing out will be a J. And remember, like on TV, they've been setting it up that they're going to be defending the tag belts separately now. So they're setting it up for them to lose either, you know, by some nefarious means or not. But I don't think this story hinges on on Sammy getting gold. I really don't. I agree 100%. It hinges on, well, it hinges on him making sure that somebody else does. I, I could see them spinning off Jay and Sammy as a tag team and having one of the belts, whereas J, Jimmy and Solo have the other. But, yeah. I because, what because what hurts this character of Roman more that this you know weirdo that they brought in takes the belt from him in some fluke fashion or that his family betrayed him and took the one thing that mattered to him more than anything else, his position at the head of the table in the island of relevancy. Uh, see, this is why I love wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, this is great. Because, see, and this is how you know it's a well-told story. All of these are good options. Yeah. I don't, I think Sammy's right. I don't think Sammy needs to be the face of the company. I think Sammy needs to send a message. And if he just loses at Elimination Chamber and then it's like, now we'll turn on to Cody, the story's not over. This is too good a story. And they refuse to let it go. And I have to say, what I would love, I, I wouldn't even mind if WrestleMania comes along. Roman, for some reason, gets taken out and they leave Roman off of TV for four months. And they don't even have a sniff of Roman. And then SummerSlam comes along and Roman's back with a vengeance. And it'd be perfect. 
He's so good. I mean, we've even left out the obvious. You know, Sammy helps Cody win. Yep. That's what. No, I said that. Yeah, he did. Oh, okay. On night two. On night two. See, that's what I thought the Elimination Chamber should have been a non-title match. Sammy wins a non-title. Rematch WrestleMania, he loses. That's what I, but they're going right for the title. So I don't know where they're going to go with it. He, he will win by disqualification because yeah. it'll be he'll jump, something will happen. Right. That could be. <laughs> that could be. Guys, this is so he'll much get fun. Win. He won't get the pinfall, but yeah. He gets the win, but not the pin. There it is. Right there. Um, this is so much fun, guys. Uh, plug your stuff. How can people connect with you? Find your stuff. You, you might as well go, Dave. I think you get more stuff to plug than I do. Well, I mean, as always, and you can find us over at In the Seats, where we talk about pretty much everything that the moving image has to offer. I mean, now including professional wrestling, obviously. Uh, you know, reviews, news, interviews from all mm-hmm. across the world, cinema, television, you name it, we've got it. And plus, please find us over at our companion podcast, In the Seats With, where I sit down with a wide-ranging variety of industry professionals, mm-hmm. And uh, I pick their brain about uh, current projects, state of the industry, and so very much more in a light and conversational fashion. And we're over at pretty much every podcast platform you can think of as well. We archive all of our episodes over at our In The Seats YouTube channel. So go give us a like and subscribe across the board because we really would appreciate it. Yeah, for me, I mean, you can reach me, um, uh, Movie Junkie TO, Twitter, Insta, all that stuff, all under the name Movie Junkie TO. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, don't have a lot of other projects that I can talk about right now, but I mean, there's some stuff on the horizon. Um, hope to chat with a lot more people soon. Got a, my brand new audio set up here, so I'm looking forward to breaking it in more. And yeah, but um, obviously I also contribute to In the Seats as well. I'm kind of the Disney guy there, so you can see me do some coverage for Disney over there as well. Love it. I love it. Thank you guys so much. This has been so much fun. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And as well, as always, you can always find us wherever podcasts are available. Uh, you can, uh, you know, we, we have lots of interviews with as industry professionals as well. And we have Screenfish Radio, where we try to be weekly, uh, talking about the latest in film, television, and apparently wrestling. And... Ooh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah! Um, as who, and I will say... My kids know him as the guy from Spider-Man, but that's a whole other story uh, as Bonesaw. well. Bonesaw. <laughs> uh, you can find us on YouTube. Like and subscribe to us. Just search up Screenfish on YouTube. You will find us there. And if you go to the podcast page at screenfish.net, you can download Fishing for more small group questions to get you started. Uh, help you get this conversation started where you are. Um, guys, thank you so much. As always, I love chatting with you. And uh, for you at home, we started the conversation. This was Screenfish. <laughs>